This week on Dig Me Out. Okay, that's the one that has regret on it, which I think is like the, the last, the last best New Order on you. single. Okay. Tim and Jay review Twisted Tenderness by Electric. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 195 of season four. How are you this fine evening? Uh, just dandy. Well, that's great. I was, try- I was trying to think of how to say 195 in um, Spanish. Uh, I have no idea. What's nine? Nino? I have to actually go uh, through all the ocho. work. All the, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho. Ocho. No, no, nueve. That's eight. Nueve. Nueve. Uno, nueve, cinco. Uno, nueve, cinco. But I think when you get to, like, a hundred, there's, like, a yeah. different way of saying those things. They, yeah. They play with your mind. My two years of high school Spanish and my year of college Spanish, uh, believe it, have not have you not know, stuck with me. All these years. I know. I took more than two. I took like, jeez, three, four. Wow. And then I took a couple years of French. I don't remember hardly anything. I, yeah, I took two years of Italian and I don't remember anything. But I can I can name every member of you know, Cinderella. Well, of course, without a problem. Right. Well, who can't? Wait, what if I, if I, if I, if you asked me for ten Spanish words, like I couldn't, I couldn't come up with them. Sure, you could chalupa, gordito. <laughs> That's true. You could come up with ten easily. Nacho, salsa. Are those really Spanish words, or they're just American words that some marketing guy <laughs> dreamed up? My favorite um, new Spanish word when when we moved here was tinga. What's tinga? Tinga is like, uh, it's basically like brisket, but it's got, it's mixed with like spicy chilies and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's like, um, you get it, you know, in a burrito or in a quesadilla or in a sandwich or something. Is it because that makes your stomach tinga later? I don't know. I have no idea. But like we start, we go to this restaurant by us and. We were starting noticing like everything had like you could add tinga to add everything. Like so you get like fried avocados and then add tinga. I'm like, add the tinga. Gotta add the tinga. Whatever I'm you got. A hot cho- I'm having a hot chocolate to add a tinga. <laughs> well, we should get to our review for this week. And in honor of another artist who is releasing uh, new material. We're revisiting some of their old material, and that uh, person in this case is Johnny Marr, who you might be familiar with uh, from a band called The Smiths. And then uh, in the 90s, he was in a band called Electric with Bernard Sumner Sumner of New Order. Isn't it electronic? Oh, sorry, electronic. (laughs) Not electric. (laughs) You want to cut that again? He was in a band called Electronic with Bernard Sumner 
of New Order. So we're going to go back. Uh, you know, the Smiths didn't put out any records in the 90s. Johnny Marr didn't put any solo records in the 90s. He did that in the 2000s. So we're going to check out the third electronic album called Twisted Tenderness. Jay, were you familiar with any of Johnny Marr's output in the 90s? And and what is your familiarity overall with Johnny Marr? He was a guy I always saw in the guitar magazines in the 90s. Okay. Um, I remember, I don't know, I just remember him popping up probably every time one of his records would come out. He'd make it into the guitar magazines. Um, I, you know, I've, I'm familiar with some Smith stuff, and um, some of the stuff on here is actually sounds vaguely familiar to me. I don't know if I'd actually heard it or if it's just, you know, derivative or, or something. But um, I'm probably more familiar with the New Order stuff from, would it be the late 90s, early 2000s? There's a couple albums in there that I liked a lot. You so were probably... yeah, you were like a fan of the the Sirens Call album, I think. Yeah, because I know you're not a big New Order fan, but I think you liked. There was like two albums in there that I liked a lot. Yeah, I'm more from probably more familiar with that stuff than. I mean, obviously the two or three Smith songs that you know were on the radio and stuff. I know those, but. Um. In the United States, we gotta say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Sorry. the UK, there were like in 15 all... songs that in, were. Um, you know, American alternative radio. Right. Exactly. Uh, I, yeah, like you, I was a more, I, I didn't listen to the Smiths in the eighties. I was listening to hair metal and, you know, the fat boys and stuff like that. So they sort of escaped me. Um, I caught on to the Smiths in the nineties, uh, never really beyond the few singles such as, um, you know, panic and, uh, the, the the typical big ones that were in the, in the U.S. didn't really get into the albums until you know like the Spotify and Groove Shark last FM years in the last you know four or five years and been able to sample all the records and I've I've always known that Johnny Marr was sort of a guitar god in the U.K. and you know like you said in the magazines but I didn't really pick up on his stuff as a He's actually like a really well-regarded producer and like a guy who plays with a lot of bands. Um, and the the big one that was like a breakthrough for me was when he worked with Modest Mouse uh, on their, I guess their breakthrough record was the one that he worked on. And mm-hmm. he also produced, uh, it turns out, the second Marion record, the follow-up to their one that we reviewed their their first record. And then the second record, which is called The Program, he produced that record. Hmm. But he has a ton of producing credits. And those go back to his days in The Smiths. Like, basically, after The, fir- the Smiths put out their first record, he started, like, working with other bands. Um, and I actually just finished, not too long ago, a book called um, A Light That Never Goes Out, which is a history of The Smiths. Uh, if you're a Smiths fan, or even if you're not, which I'm, I'm not a huge Smiths fan... It's a really interesting book because it kind of gives you the the really detailed and inside story of the beginning of the Smiths to the end. And it ends when the Smiths ends. It doesn't go into a long, you know, afterward. It's like the Smiths end and then the book ends. And it gives you a, a really interesting insight into the personalities in that band, him and, him and Morrissey, obviously. Um, so that said, we're going to... Uh, 
talk a little bit about the history right now of electronic. History of the band. So the band formed uh, in '88. It was uh, Bernard Sumner was working on a solo record. Um, he was not happy with uh, his New Order bandmates at the time, and he called Johnny Marr for help on the record. So they started working together, and their original idea was they were just going to release basically like dance singles on factory records, but not put it under their name. They wanted it to remain like sort of an anonymous group. That they could just sort of make music and not have the pressure of the guy from New Order and the guy from The Smiths making a record together. So that's how they did like the first single, and it sold a quarter million copies. And then they were like, hey, actually, this could actually be kind of something that we didn't expect it to. We just wanted to do, like, little dance songs, and all of a sudden, now they're blowing up. So they got together with uh, Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys, and they started working on their first record, um, which was uh, released in May of 91 on Factory. It's called, it was self-titled, called Electronic. Um, and then it was reissued in 1994 by Parlophone after the factory label collapsed. Um, it reached number two in the UK, and it sold over a million copies around the world. In the US, as of the year 2000, it had sold about a quarter million copies. So after the first album, um, the band did a little touring, but then they went off on their own um, projects. Johnny Marr recorded with The The and... Bernard Sumner went back to record with New Order. So a couple years later, they started working on a second album. Uh, it was in 94. And it took them two years to release uh, their second record, Raise the Pressure, which came out in July of 96. They were joined on that record by Carl Bartos, who is uh, a songwriter with Kraftwerk. So they released that on Parlophone in the UK and then on Warner Brothers. And they didn't tour to support that record, but they performed on a couple TV shows like Top of the Pops in the UK. Uh, the, the reaction to that record was mixed, so they felt like they wanted to get back in the studio right away. And they re, uh, released Twisted Tenderness um, in April 99. That was also on Parlophone. And then it was released in the US on, uh, is it Koch Records? Koch? K-O-C-H. Koch. Koch. Uh, you wish. Yeah. <laughs> now, on that record, Dove's bassist Jimmy Goodwin plays, as well as uh, Black Grape drummer Ged Lynch. British guys always have the cool first names. Yeah, Ged. That's and pretty good. Bez. And what's the, there was the one guy from the Supergrass who has a cool a name. Baz or something. Baz, like yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was the last record. Twisted Tenderness, released in 99, was the last record. Neither Sumner or Marr have said that the band is broken up, but they've both obviously moved on to different projects. Um, there's been New Order records. Um, and then Bernard Summers also recorded uh, outside of New Order with Bad Lieutenant. And Marr has produced uh, solo records uh, with his backing band, The Healers as well as working with a lot of other bands, whether producing or actually playing on records. And Marr said in 2003 that the band had reached its natural conclusion and he was happy it ended on a high note. 
So that's the history of Electronic. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We did not get any relevant Facebook feedback. We got some comments, but they weren't relevant to this podcast when we post this. So let's just skip to the uh, skip to the uh, album. Now we both go into this familiar with these two artists with their original source material, but I don't think that either of us were listening to Electronic, the band, in the '90s. Although you mentioned that it was a little bit familiar, so tell me, Jay, uh, it was a little familiar. What was your overall impression of this record? What what worked for you? Let's start with that. Probably the parts that seem familiar. <laughs> okay. Uh, in theory, the combination of these two artists would seem to be pretty compelling. I found myself, though, being more drawn to the parts that didn't sound like a new um, creation, but was more, I think, familiar and reflective of either or's you know sort of singular contribution mm-hmm. so when things got maybe um a little bit more guitar oriented um some pretty cool guitar lines and um layering of guitars and that sort of thing that drew me in and then there's some really great like synth pop kind of you know um, melodies and arrangements and sounds and that are very reminiscent of that era of New Order that I liked, and I, and I enjoyed that part of it. Um, intermixed within all that, there's a couple moments where the two things kind of come together really successfully, so they're a little bit more guitar-driven, um, and they still have you know, the, the sort of hooks that the, the New Order stuff and the, and the melody, the strength of the melody that the New Order stuff has. So like... Like no other is an example of that. That's a tune where they almost get jangly. Mm-hmm. Um, like it has kind of a jangly, jangle pop feel to it, especially in the chorus. Yeah. Which was an unexpected little surprise on the song or on the record for me. Um, that song. And then late at night, um, again, it's really hooky. They get right to the chorus right away. It's got a nice mix of, you know, guitars and the drum machine um, aspect of the band or loops or whatever they're using. Um, that's a song too that actually I think is one of the few that seems to have a real bass player or at least sounds like a real bass because there's like runs in it that are bass you know that sound like a bass guitar Mm -hmm. whereas a lot of the rest of the record is I think synth bass so there's moments like I think those two were they do create something definitely new and not exactly like one of their other bands but I I I find the rest of the record is a little inconsistent in regards to that but i won't get into what i don't like yet okay 
Well, I'll, I'll agree with you in terms of the songs that you highlighted. I'll also mention um, Twisted Tenderness, which I felt like was a really, really compelling and uh, well-done combination of, of what these two guys do, which is the it had the sound of like a New Order track, but the melody was very Smith's, very much in that sort of 80s... Um, I don't know what you'd call the Smiths in terms of sad melody, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. the music worked in terms of the the New Order style synth pop. You must know I'm a fool. This twisted tenderness just leaves me cool. You've got me in a mess. You know it's true. felt like that was one of the highlights of the record and i think one of the i think overall one of the highlights of the record is bernard sumner um i always think of him as being a little robotic in his vocals um, especially in the earlier new order stuff i mean he's coming out of joy division and it's it's very morose and it's very the first joy uh, the first new order record after joy division is very joy division and and here he sounds way like more open to pop melodies and i think that has a lot to do with johnny marr writing pop guitar lines and you know it's there's a much more pop focus to a lot of this songwriting so bernard sumner's like a little more free to write like you mentioned like a jangle pop chorus in like no other um and again with late at night and there's there's a quite a few number of tracks where yes it's bernard sumner and he sounds like bernard sumner because he has that sort of very uh, limited range in terms of his vocal melody or his vocal style, but he's able to throw some little bit more interesting um, melodies and lyrics throughout the record that made me appreciate him as a vocalist and as a, as a songwriter than sometimes I think with uh new order where it becomes very machine-like because it's built around synths and drum machines Mm -hmm. and it's very regimented um and even though there are even though that's present the 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 use of the guitar especially when johnny marr you know throws in those riffs it sounds a little bit more organic and i think he's able to play with that a little bit more so um i i think for me one of the things because i'm i am a not a huge new order fan but i'm a pretty big new order fan you know i I've owned, I own all the records, and outside of the first record, I I really like a lot of this. I think up until Republic, um, I'm I'm not in the same camp as you, where 
I don't find um, the Sirens Call to be as strong as their late 80s and early 90s work. Um, Republic is the last album to me that really is a strong New Order record. That's the one that has Regret on it, which I think is like the, the last the last best New Order on you. single. Okay. I like whatever. Get Ready, too. That's the album after that. That's yeah, all right. I, I stepped th- in when you when you got out. Yeah, it's fine. That's what we, that's what happens. You know, people find their their niche. So that's what worked for me. Um, what were you gonna say about Get Ready? I don't even remember a single song off that record. Crystal, you don't remember that song? Oh yeah, now I do, and I'm glad I forgot it. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Uh, what did you think, before we get into what we didn't like, what did you think of the Steve Winwood cover? <laughs> Isn't that a traffic song? Well, traffic. Text Steve Winwood wrote it. Yeah. But it's a traffic song. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's very much like the the record for me. Um, there's moments where you're like, oh, that is a really cool interpretation of that part. And then there's the part after it where I cringe. Is it the um, part where they'd use the uh, the record scratches? Oh, yeah, and just they'll stray so f- they'll stray into like a really like wah wah synth kind of funky th- thing that just doesn't. There, there's moments where they they get away from the melody of the song, and then there's other moments where they enhance it and 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 replicate it in new ways that are interesting. Like the intro is, um, I. I I think the original song uses piano to do the to do the, the main melody and then they use like maybe mandolin or something so there's, uh, well, there's really also cool... some like moog synthesizer yeah think. there's just a cool mix of instruments on the intro but then the um well once the dj comes in it gets silly yeah and then the, there's strings underneath the verse that make it sound like um a james bond song <laughs> you know what i mean like could have been on the a 90s James Bond movie like it's oh, this overly dramatic like bed of, of synth string I don't know. It, it's a the song is a mishmash of successful and really cringeworthy se- sections, all within right. the same song. And I think the rest of the record uh, has moments like that. So, what did not work for you? Almost every song has portions I like. First half of the record, I struggle with a lot of the arrangements i didn't quite get it um they would intros that were you know usually drum loop heavy um and then they would just cut into 
like the first the first track like they just kind of cut into the verse out of nowhere it sounds like somebody spliced it um spliced it in and then the chorus comes in again it kind of like cuts in at like two minutes and then there's this long outro and a breakdown and um there's some guitar playing on a song like that and like um breakdown has a really cool like guitar playing at the end but it's this long drawn out outro of the song the the intro on that one's kind of goofy like it's got this bongo big mm-hmm. drum kind of thing and um but then when the vocal comes in it, it gets really interesting it, it's one of the ones where there's actually you know strings used in it um underneath the vocal and it's it's kind of cool it takes this really you know darker shift from the intro it almost makes the the intro song particular it it amplifies just how goofy it is like once you get to that part it gets kind of more serious and when you spend more time with the song like think back like why was an intro on this song it doesn't even have anything to do with the rest of the song right um so I, I found myself a, a, a little bit of a roller coaster ride on terms of the first half of the record in particular, trying to understand some what some of the arrangements were doing. There would be hooks like uh, at the end, like it's track two, Haze. There's that uh, like the river deep or the ocean wide part. It's at like it's oh, probably three minutes in or three or four minutes into the song, mm-hmm. and it's really really strong, and it it really should be the chorus. But it's not. I don't know what it is. It's just like this other part, like a bridge or something, that's thrown on at the end that is really, really good. And we go back and listen to the court, the real chorus. You know, I scratch my head of like, what? <laughs> why didn't you use this piece? It would have probably worked. Why didn't you use this as the actual? Chorus? There's just some weird stuff like that where um, I'm not quite sure how these songs were written. They sound a little like you know, either written over a long period of time or cut and spliced and sort of assembled. They don't quite come together correctly, even though the, there's parts on all of them that are really cool and interesting. There's other parts that aren't. And, um, the decisions made there were a bit puzzling to me. I'm not quite sure what the band was, was trying to do. Um, and then at the end, the second half of the record, it takes more of a pop, to me, more of a simpler pop twist once you get to, like, probably Twisted Tenderness, mm-hmm. which 
and then the rest of the record seems to simplify a little bit like i don't know it gets it gets a little bit more concise and um uh focused i guess and uh starts to make a little bit more sense to me what well, what do you, you think get, of you get track 3 um vivid cuz that was the that's single that's the song yeah that's the song i knew that's the okay. one that was most familiar with me that that is like yeah that's a great song i love the um the harmonica in the intros excellent it really sets up the hook um the 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 drums in that they kind of pull them back a little bit that's another thing i struggle with on this record is just that drum stuff sometimes just is so consuming with the la- layers of percussion they got going on yeah um in that track they pull it back a little bit you can hear um the vocal just is allowed to come forward and the melody comes forward more my imagination wants to see the vivid colors of reality there's a place out there beyond my grasp a revolution in a looking glass i've got to get this problem off my chest i'm sick and tired of being second best i'll rearrange my credibility my fundraiser for a restless sea don't ever doubt me what's come over you won't you forgive me what are you gonna do don't ever doubt me what's come over you won't you forgive me what are you gonna do what will you do I like the use of the harmonica in that. I think it's um, really well done and really well placed. Um, it's not just texture, you know. It's it's that song, and then the second half of the record, like I was saying, some other songs on there. Like, there's less layering for the sake of layering, and more of like purposeful use of instruments to create distinct melodies. If that makes sense. Not like, hey, let's just put a harmonica on that's playing the same chords as the guitar. It's this is the this instrument's going to play the, the melody, the hook. Um, so I, I like that song quite a bit. It, it reminded me of a lot of, not a lot of, but it reminded me of like a really good, unique 90s Britpop song almost. Like mm. it could have fit in with like Blur when they were getting a little more experimental in the late 90s um, where they would put like a weird, you know, they put like a more traditional instrument like you have there, like a harmonica, but then do it over a big drum loop sort of part mm. and still have a, a, a hooky chorus and melody. I think that's an example of where they took an instrument that isn't what you would t- sort of think of as like natural to what is essentially a dance record because it's built around, mm. these are all built around like, you know, dance tracks with the bass and the synth- synthesized bass and the drum loops and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they add this harmonica, which is, you know, a, I don't know if it's a looped harmonica part or whatever it is, but it adds this organic element, which is really cool. Whereas when they add sort of more stereotypical dance elements, like the scratching or the overly synth <laughs> keys or whatever, that's where it becomes yeah. betrayed by its sort of time frame. And yeah. you go, oh, you roll your eyes at those uh, those awful scratches and stuff. Yeah, so the, I per- the, the production way. hurts it and helps it at the same time, depending on which song you're in. Um, yeah, it's like uh, the fundamental elements that are here aren't uh i mean it's like 
it, it can be timeless. It can be, you know, not totally drenched in the 90s. But there are certainly moments where it definitely is. The scratchings one, the uh, the dance synth intro on Twisted Tenderness. It sounds like a, a share song is starting. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, ding, 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 ding. You know, just a typical, like, you know, two chord uh, dance synth kind of thing. And moments like that make you just, you know, you can't escape 90s cheese when you hear some pieces and parts like that. Right. Um, which is unfortunate because I think the, the the concept of the the record for the most part is timeless. It's just there's some indulging that happens that's that's right. not. I think yeah, and that's 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 overall the biggest what did not work for me, which is where when it veers into them playing with very uh, dated sounds, you know, which I feel like the bands that were pure excuse me were pure electronic bands whether it was chemical brothers or what have you they actually stayed away from a lot of that stuff they just really focused on drums and bass and they had guitars or whatever they had them and the bands that didn't sound completely and totally dated and those tend to be the lesser less interesting bands you know chemical brothers are still in a lot of ways uh, a relevant band um, they did the soundtrack to, uh, what was the name of that movie? The one with, uh, the, she was a little girl and she was like an assassin. Um, can't remember what it was called. It came out a couple years ago. I have a four year old dude. I don't see many movies. Okay. Anyway, they did the soundtrack to it and it was really cool. And they're a band that when I went back and I recently went back and listened to some of their, their 90s stuff, um, mm. you know, when they delved into the more pop end of it, like having like a pop songwriter um, Mm -hmm. sing with them. That's where like Neil Neil Gallagher, that's -hmm. where it becomes a little bit more grounded in the nineties. But a lot of their stuff sounds fairly revolutionary even now um, Hmm. because it's still, it doesn't necessarily get stamped with this is the nineties. Um, even though it's electronic music and you think of electronica as being purely 90s, it still sounds like very fresh. And um, I think that's what they were trying to go for on this record. And I think it works for the most part. It just, there's little bits and pieces here. Where you're like, eh, like you said, at the beginning of Twisted Tenderness or the scratches on Can't Find My Way Home or whatever, when there's just like some stuff that just sort of pins it down into that era. But and then the only other issue is what you mentioned, which I think all dance records probably have this issue, which is the songs are too long. And, you know, like track seven, Prodigal oh, yeah. Son, is a very cool song. It kind of starts out with this, like, almost like an homage to, like, Tomorrow Never Knows, and mm. then goes into a more up-tempo part. But if that song had been, like, four and a half minutes long, it would have been really cool. But it's seven-something yeah. minutes long. And it's just like, oh, okay, this is too long. Yeah, even the songs I like are too long. (laughs) You know, they all can be trimmed. It's it's almost funny, like when you go back and like when I was writing up my notes, I'd sort of make it through, um, like the second chorus, and I'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's see, uh, probably. What's the uh, what's the you know outro like again? I'm like, wait a minute, there's another three minutes of this. (laughs) Right. What? 
what in the world do they do? You know, it always like all of them have like a break, this long drawn out break part. And there's like some kind of reprise outro thing that they usually do. It's just too much. You know, they're, they, they're trying to be epic with these songs or something, which they just don't warrant that type of presentation. Um, for the most part, they work pretty well as, you know, in a pop format with some variants um, here and there, but they're overly ambitious at times with that. Let me ask you I'm, this. I'm laughing here. I don't go ahead. Well, you're, you're pretty astute when it comes to recognizing styles and of, of guitar players and stuff like that. I always hear a mention of like the Johnny Marr style, but I'm not real strong on picking up on what that is. Do you hear like the Johnny Marr style guitar on this record because to me it sounds there's a lot of cool guitar stuff but i don't necessarily connect this in any way to the smiths no i thought the same thing that was um one of the i guess slightly disappointing um yes there's obviously a a good you know guitar player or guitar players at work on this record but in a lot of cases that it could be anybody you know um part of that is there's some there's a couple moments here and there where it starts to make sense where you get these either like lush chord combinations with um you know really strong leads like the layering of those two things together um but a lot of the cases the guitarist gets lost i mean there's por- large portions of the record where it's not even part of the consideration like it's just not even part of the song right um, and there's and and also there's other times where it's there, but because of the way it's mixed, it's such a minor piece that you can't even really distinguish the part or you know you can't even appreciate it for what it is. So I think a lot of that has to do with the production. I think it's just kind of buried in a in a thick mix of a lot of other shit that it's really hard to 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 hear it and pull it out. That that that's probably one of the the more disappointing parts of the record, though, is I, I'd love to just hear it kind of stripped down to that that part and some simple keys, bass, and drums, and, and lose a lot of the extra uh, percussion layering and mm-hmm. stuff to to see if that. I think what we're both wanting that little bit more of the uh, signature kind of Smith's guitar sound comes out. Well, that's the problem that I've I have because. As I've gone back and listened to more Smith stuff, especially after reading that book, like I hear a song like How Soon Is Now, which has that like, you know, really unique tremoloed guitar with those slide, you know, signature parts. And then I compare that to like a song like Panic. I don't necessarily hear the consistency in his guitar playing that I think other people do. I know that there's like, you know, there's a jangly aspect to a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, but he, you know, in reading the book, he was playing like a Les Paul for a lot of those years, even though he was playing like a lot of sort of morose and quieter songs. So I guess I, I'm not as, I'm, I'm just not as comfortable saying I can spot a Johnny Marr sort of part. I don't know if it's just in the way he phrases guitar lines or what, but I, I have a difficult time sort of picking up on what he does as a guitar player that's so unique yeah i'm not that big of a fan of 
him to to know. I, I guess I could only go with the songs that I knew, wanting to hear portions and pieces of that type of song, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I was looking to connect back. And it's, it's tough to say whether, <laughs> I, you know, there there are a couple moments where the things like that jump out, but but it's not as much as I thought it would be. My, uh, I don't, I've never used Groove Shark before. I used mm-hmm. to listen to this record, so I went back to the homepage to see like. Now that I've listened to this record, what my recommended songs are. And the bands I'm getting are Human League, Bronsky Beat, Pet Shop Boys, Soft Cell. So that's apparently what uh, that makes sense. Shark things I like now. A lot of the Verb, a lot Elastica. Uh huh. That makes that makes total sense. Based yeah. on because over the course of the three albums that they put out, they had like the drummer from you know ABC played on one record. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the Pet Shop Boys, where one of the guys from the Pet Shop Boys was involved. So, and there's elements of a little bit of Brit pop in some of this, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about our overall rating. Uh, were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, where do you fall on this record? I'm going to go with an EP. I think if you cut down the whole record, like if you went through and edited every song down, I think it would be a word of the album. Um, that's asking a lot. <laughs> Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, so if we're just going to leave the songs as they are, I would say it's an EP. And I could probably pick, uh, let's see, one, two, three, probably five songs that I think would be good on that. I agree with you. I'm at an EP, and I am also at five songs. I don't know if it's the same five, but I probably guess we're at this three or four are pretty close. in terms I'm of vivid, like no other, late at night, when she's gone, and then maybe the last song, Flicker. I, I would be at Vivid, like no other, late at night, and then I would take Twisted Tenderness, and I actually like Haze. has that, like, Zeppelin beat to it, that big, like, uh, not, uh, what's the name of that? The one that always gets sampled, that drum beat, that Zeppelin. That, when the levee breaks? When the levee breaks. Kind of has that feel to it. Um, but there, I, I don't, there was nothing that I really disliked. It was just that I just yeah. had too many issues with some of the other songs. Whether it was production yeah, or length. Yeah, none of it's, or, like, offensive. You know. No. There's parts where it's, like, a little bit, you know, like we mentioned earlier, it's a little bit cringeworthy or, like, you know, brings up demons of the 90s <laughs> musically. Like, ooh. But uh, it's fleeting, you know, that those parts go pretty fast. So, I'll just say this for all future generations of musicians. Turntable scratches should never be on your record yeah unless you're a hip-hop artist, period. Don't ever do it. It sounds terrible five minutes after you did it, let alone 15 years. Oh, man. Groove Shark thinks I like Spandau Ballet. True, Jay. True. I can never go back to Groove Or Maybe I do need to go back to Groove Shark to set it straight. You got to go listen to like some Pantera on there and really confuse <laughs> the hell out of Groove Shark. Well, then they'll just give you a Rammstein, probably. Groove Shark, you've got me all wrong. Give me another chance. <laughs> so that's two, uh, to get back to our review, that's two EP uh, reviews or uh, recommendations for uh, Electronica. Uh, Electronica. Electronic. Jeez. And their third album. I had a hard time with this uh, album, uh, band title. So if you would like to uh, leave us some feedback, head on over to our iTunes page. Do so. If you'd like to request a review, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com to do so and uh, that's it for Jay I'm Tim 
And we're out. We'll be back next week with another review of a band who have an album coming out. I will not discuss which one it is. You'll have to tune in to find out. How's that for a bit of mystery? Way to go. Thanks. All right. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.